as we get into our message this morning. Uh, if you've not been here with us, we're working our way through the book of Deuteronomy. We're working our way through the story of how God has loved and interacted and worked in the lives of His people. That He's taken this, this family, what was once just Abraham's family, and turned them into a mighty nation of people. A nation that will soon, not long in the future, have a land that God had promised to them that He's giving to them. And so I'd invite you to find your way to Deuteronomy chapter 5 as we begin. But as we start, I want to talk about fear. What is fear? Why do we fear? What are some of the things that we fear? If you're anything like me, growing up, mom and dad, usually dad, would always tell me to be brave, to be strong, to be courageous, to be bold, to face our fears. But the reality is sometimes we're not. Some of my roommates, some of the people that live with me, they have fears. They're scared of the dark. They're my kids. Some other people are scared of things like spiders. I'm not scared of spiders, but I think that one would probably get me. Personally, I, I do have a fear of elevators, but I'm taking steps to overcome that fear. I'll let that one sink in for a minute. There it is. <clears throat> There's a lot of areas in life where fear can have negative ramifications. We don't dive full speed into a relationship because of fear. We make financial decisions based on fear. We don't take advantage of opportunities that we have sometimes because of fear. We go to the movies and we see superheroes. We see brave men and women who it seems like they never fear. They are courageously running headlong into the face of danger with no concern for themselves. Even in Scripture, if you were to open up to the back of your Bible, go to the concordance where you can look up a word and find all the places that the Bible talks about that. If you looked up fear, you'd find over 60 verses that God has told us to fear not. Proverbs 28.1 says that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Bible tells us to be courageous, tells us not to be afraid with one exception. It tells us to fear God. It tells us that in fearing God, that the reason why we don't have anything else to fear, the reason why we can fear not is because we fear God. And in fearing God, nothing else can stand in comparison. I think the fear of God is often perceived as a as a negative thing for a lot of people. We hear that we should fear God, and that, that doesn't sound like a God that we, that we like. That doesn't sound like the, the, the teddy bear God that we can snuggle up next to and, and be comfortable with. We like loving God. We don't, we don't necessarily like that idea of fearing God. But I think that's just a, a lack of exposure to God. That's a, a sign of Maybe we haven't seen God as much as we think we have. Because if we look at Scripture, which we're going to do in just a minute, we're going to see that anytime someone in Scripture or anytime that someone comes face to face with God, 
Anytime someone really gets a glimpse of who God is, there is one common response that, that crosses them all. God is incredible, and their only response is fear. Fear of the Lord is a recurring theme throughout Deuteronomy as well. It's often tied to obeying His commandments, which Ryan addressed in the first part of Deuteronomy 5 so wonderfully last week. Can I just take a second and say how impressed I was to see Ryan Shoemaker get up here and speak from the stage for the first time ever? What an incredible job he did. Our church is blessed with people like Pastor Dave, Brian, like Bruce, came up here and spoke a few weeks ago. Men who are able to come up here and are able to proclaim the Word of God well. To me, what that tells me is that this church is not about a personality. It's not about a person who would come up here and would put on a good show for everyone. We are about one thing, and that thing is right here in my hand. And whoever it is that comes up here, whoever it is, if we are holding to this book and proclaiming what it says, that's enough for us. And that's all I ever want this church to be about. Any church that I want to be a part of is about this book, not about the person that's standing up here in this spot. So I'm thankful for that. So as we begin, if you've found your way to Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're going to read our entire passage and then get down into some of the details. And I'd like to invite you, uh, this is an ancient practice that we don't practice a whole lot today, but it historically has been a very important part of the church's history. I'd like to invite you to stand. In honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to stand and read our passage together today, just as the, the saints and the people who have come before us have. So we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 together. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the thick gloom, with a great voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. You said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then speak to us what the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear and do it. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of my people which have been spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they would have such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them which they may observe them in the land that I give them to possess. So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God had commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live 
and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can gather together, that we can study and hear from you this morning. And God, our prayer is that you would show yourself to us this morning. God, that just as you did with the Israelites, that you would reveal just a, just a glimpse of who you are, of your greatness, of your power. God, help us to see you and to show us your glory this morning. Father, speak for your church is listening. Amen. You may be seated. As we get into our passage, we start with verse 22. We start with a verse that talks about how powerfully God revealed himself to the people of Israel when they were at Mount Sinai years before. Talks about this special, incredible instance where God came, his people were gathered around the base of the mountain, and God came and engulfed the mountain. That there was a a darkness, a, a dark cloud, a fire that engulfed this mountain. And out of that fire, the people of Israel heard the voice of the Lord speak to them. They heard the voice of God, and it was an incredible sight to see. That years later, 38 years later, when we're here picking up the story in Deuteronomy, these people are still shaken to their core. That their lives have been forever changed, that they are forever different because they had seen a glimpse of the glory of God. I think this verse reminds us again what we already know, that when God speaks, incredible things happen. When God speaks, things change. And the purpose of Him giving the law to His people at Mount Sinai was so that they might know how to follow Him. And for us today... The purpose of us receiving this law as we go through the book of Deuteronomy is to not just give us the law, but it's to reveal to us the God of that law. We continue down in verses 24 through 26. We see the the reality. It says, You said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and His greatness. We have heard His voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, and he still lives. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? God spoke to them in verse 22 that we see how God spoke And we see in in 24 through 26 here, we see the immediate response from the people was fear. Their immediate response was, yeah, it was really awesome when we got to see God, when we got to hear from God directly. That was incredible. We are so blown away by what he did in revealing himself to us. But we're not worthy. And if we continue to stay here and listen to him, it's going to kill us. It's going to be so overwhelming, so powerful, so much that how can man stand before God and even hear him speak and survive? Moses, you can go do it. You go talk to him. You go, you go up the mountain. You figure out what God wants us to do, and you just come back and you tell us. And if you just tell us what God wants us to do, we're going to do it. We don't have to talk to him. It was too much for him. 
they were afraid. That response from the Israelites that we see, that response of true fear, it's not an outlier. It's not just something that the Israelites were were scaredy cats and the rest of the people in Scripture have a different response. Every single time we see it, the people's response is fear. If you were to turn to Isaiah 6, we see Isaiah having a vision of, of God in his temple. And Isaiah's response to seeing the Lord high and lifted up is, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When he sees God, he realizes two things. First off, I am a sinful person, and I am so unworthy of being here. And the second one, is because he's so sinful and so unworthy, he says, I'm going to die. This is it. This is, this is the end for me. Woe is me. But maybe that's just Isaiah. Maybe he was just a sinful, rotten guy, and the rest of the people that saw God responded differently. In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus performing a miracle. He tells Peter, the fisherman, the professional, who's been out trying to catch fish all night, unable to catch fish, He tells Peter, cast your net over the other side of your boat. All right. He casts it over the other side of the the boat. And there's such an incredible catch that they can't even pull all the fish into the boat. And Peter realizes this man, Jesus, he controls far more than, than what the rest of us control. He controls, he has power over nature, power over where the fish are. And Peter's response in realizing that he is God, the greatness of Jesus, Peter's response is, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He realizes how great God is, and his response is fearful. Maybe that's just Peter. Matthew chapter 17, we see the account of where Jesus and a few of the disciples go up the mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration, where where God kind of peels back the humanity of Jesus just a little bit and shows those disciples just a little bit of the true glory of who Jesus is. That He is God. And that's revealed to those men. The voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their face with their face down to the ground and were terrified. When they got to see a glimpse of the greatness of God, their response was fear. Maybe that's just them. Maybe it's just a bunch of men that that didn't get it. In Mark 16, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene going to the tomb, and they see the risen Jesus at the tomb. And it says that when they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. They had seen the glory of the risen Jesus who had overcome death, who was no longer in the grave, in the tomb, but that He had been raised in power and that He was coming back to speak to them. And they were afraid. And in Revelation, God gives John a vision of future things. A vision of heaven tells him to write it down. 
John sees God for the first time in Revelation 1. And it says, upon all of the things that he saw about the Lord, it says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. His response was fear, again. Verse 27 in our passage today can basically be summarized as the Israelites' fearful response because they had seen the reality of the greatness of our God. It's them saying, go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. Then come back and speak to us what the Lord our God speaks to you and we will hear and do it. That would, the, when we got to see God, it was so incredible, we can't take it anymore. We're not worthy to stand before him and hear from him. Moses, you go do it. Then you just come back and tell us. God's words, God speaking, God revealing himself to people is awesome. It's awe-inspiring. And it's not awesome in the way that we like to talk about our cheeseburger being awesome or that movie was really awesome. We use that word awesome a lot, but... We kind of we kind of cheapen it a little bit because awesome is referring to awe-inspiring, life-changing. It it shakes us to the core. It puts a sense of awe in us. A few months ago, as we were, my family was making our trip out here to California to come be here with you guys at the Rock. We got to experience some really cool things. As we were driving across the country, we got to stop in Carlsbad and and go down seven, eight hundred feet into the ground and see the caverns in Carlsbad, where you go in there and football field after football field after football field would fit in this space. It was huge. It was cavernous. You go over to the edge of where some of the drops are, and you look down, you can't even see the bottom. This place was incredible. It made me feel small. It made me feel powerless made me feel a sense of awe standing in this incredible place. And a couple of days later, we kept driving our way across the country, and you know what we came to next? We got to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and look out and see the vast, incredible sight of this huge canyon that had been carved out. And standing there on the edge of that cliff, on the edge of that canyon, the thoughts that went through my mind or what an incredible, awe-inspiring God we have. That in the beginning, God spoke and stars were flung out into the sky. That God spoke and worlds were created. That God spoke and even something as awe-inspiring to me as the Grand Canyon that I got to stand and see was just a, just a moment. The power of God's word, the power of God's voice, it changed the world in an instant. It created the world in an instant. That God is awe-inspiring, is awesome in the true sense of the word awesome. He's way up here. And in realizing how great and how powerful and how mighty He is, it made me feel really, really small standing on the edge of some of those incredible natural sights that we were able to see. Last week in our study in here, Ryan did a great job of going through the Ten Commandments. 
talking about God's laws, God's expectations, His requirements that He gave to His people. I think sometimes we can, we can read through that list and there's times where, you know, in my life I might read through that list and I start checking boxes, I could feel pretty good about myself, right? Let's start working our way through some of them. No carved images of idols. Check. Don't have any of those at home. Don't murder anyone. Check. Haven't done that one. Don't have an affair. Don't commit adultery. Check. Haven't done that one. Start working your way down through them. It's like, like, all right, maybe I can get seven or eight of these. Like, that's a solid C. I can do all right. You're welcome, God. Here I am. I passed the class. Ready to do your work now. Unfortunately, that is immediately followed up by this week's passage, where there's sort of a, a bad news, good news feel to it. The bad news is that upon seeing the true glory of God, the Israelites realize they're not good. They are not enough on their own. We look back through the Old Testament, look through the Scriptures, we see stories of men and women who did incredible things. We see stories of men like David who stood as just a young shepherd boy, stood up to face a giant, a war-toughened hero, Goliath, who no one had been able to defeat. David, this young boy, comes and stands before him in the power of God and defeats that giant. The story of David kind of makes us think David's a a great hero, right? Maybe we think of people like Esther, who she was willing to go and to stand before the king and stand up for her people, and she saved the people of Israel in that story. It's an incredible story about the bravery of Esther. Maybe we could look at that story and think what an incredible hero Esther is. God needs heroes, maybe. God needs people to stand up. We, we see these stories and we think that sometimes. But I want to challenge you because I see this far too often in preaching today, in books that are written today. There are some authors and some preachers out there who would say, God needs men and women like you to stand up, to be brave, and to be heroes, to make a difference in the world, to, to stand up and to be strong to be fearless, to be courageous, and to help God out with things. The world's getting pretty bad out there today, and so God needs someone like you to stand up and to be a hero. But that's a dangerous thing for us to do. It's a dangerous thing for us to hear. And if you hear someone saying something like that, that God needs you to stand up and to be strong and to be a hero, I challenge you to Close that book, set it down, and go read your Bible because you need to read some truth. To collect your stuff and get up and walk out of that church because if a a preacher is saying God needs you to stand up and to be a hero, our hope is lost because the reality is I'm not a hero and you are not a hero And David was not the hero in his story. And Esther was not the hero in her story. You know who was the hero in David's story of David and Goliath? God was. David didn't stand up and defeat the giant in his strength. 
he stood up and said, in the name of the Lord. And God worked through David. God doesn't need superheroes to stand up and to be brave. He needs willing people who realize how broken and how nothing they are that he can use. Because it's not in our strength that anything happens. It's not in our power that anything happens because we fall short so, so often. If we're honest with ourselves and we go back and we start looking at those Ten Commandments and we measure ourselves at at Jesus' level that he challenged us with in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, maybe I've never murdered anyone, but have I ever held anger in my heart? Well, yeah, put an X on that one. I failed there. Maybe I've never had an affair and committed adultery, but have I ever looked at a woman with lust in my heart? Yeah, put an X on that one. I failed there too. And we start going through the Ten Commandments again, and we realize we're not heroes. We're not brave. We're not strong enough in our own strength. But the good news is that in this passage, they see a vision of God, and they are truly fearful. They are truly realizing that they are unworthy, that they are not enough on their own. But God doesn't leave them in that place. The good news, that was the bad news, this is the good news. We, we get good news in this too. It's that if we turn our attention off of us and fix our eyes on the King, on God, we see how awesome, how awe-inspiring, how huge, how powerful He is. We realize that in these verses that He longs for us. That his heart is for his people. Deuteronomy 5.29, we see God's response that says, Oh, that they would have such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it may go well with them and with their sons forever. His heart is for his people to follow him, not just because, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, because he, just like a father with his children, he loves his people. He loves us, and He wants to see what's best for us. God does want to see us stand up and to be brave and to be bold and to be those people like David, but it's not because of our strength. It's because of His strength in us. If you were to turn over to Psalm 103, verses 10 through 13 give us such a great picture of God as the merciful Father when it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Ten Commandments from last week that we looked at communicated God's expectations, God's laws, God's requirements for His people. But this week, we see it takes those lofty expectations and we realize how great our God is, that that God's law, God's standards, those never change. The bar is still way up here. But it it brings things down in a sense because we see loving Father come down to the level of His people. The standard still remains, but we see God reach down into humanity with a heart for His people, with a heart to see people come to Him, to be His. 
we're reminded of the reality that God didn't just look at us and say, here's the standard, and you all fall short, so good luck figuring out how to get there. That wasn't, that wasn't the heart of our God. As great and powerful and mighty as He is, He has the heart of a compassionate Father. And He knew that none of us would be good enough on our own. And in the reality that none of us were good enough on our own, you know what He did? He sent His Son to come as fully God to put on humanity, to put on skin and bone like us, to live like us, to live among us, to face every challenge that we face, to deal with everything that we deal with. And in doing that, for 33 years, He was completely perfect and completely without sin. That even though all of us fall short of God's standard and deserve punishment, Jesus didn't. He met the standard. He met that expectation of perfection, of the law. And in doing that, He didn't deserve the punishment that we all deserve. Even though He didn't deserve that punishment, you know what He did? He paid it anyways. So that God could look at the innocent God-man, Jesus, being punished. That He might see that and that His wrath and that His anger and that His justice might be poured out on that innocent sacrifice so that He could now look at guilty sinners, guilty people like me and like you, still be a just God, still be a fair God. Punishment was still dealt out for our sin, but we didn't have to carry that load because Jesus did. That is the incredible story that we look at, that we see in this reality, in these verses of awesome, powerful, mighty God who we see just a few, la- few verses later is also loving, tender-hearted Father. That He can be both in my life and in your life, not because we meet some hero standard, but because Jesus did. Finally, the last warning that we're going to look at. Verses 32 and 33. They say, So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. God's requirements here in this passage and and in the book of Deuteronomy as a whole are to fear God and to obey. That phrase, be careful, that Ryan talked about last week, it shows up 65 different times in the book of Deuteronomy. Be careful to obey. Be careful to... If you, guys, you guys all read Hebrew, right? That This book was originally written in? No? Okay. Well, in the Hebrew, the term shamar is the term that is translated be careful. That term is in verse 32. It's translated here in this verse as you shall observe to do all these things. Be careful to do all these things that the Lord your God has commanded you. There's a caution there. Stay on the track that God has given us because when we're on that path, things will go well with us. Things will work the way that God has said they should work. 
And he cautions us not to turn aside to the right or to the left. That's how it happens for a lot of us sometimes, right? We, we know God's path. We know what God wants. We know his best. But there's little compromises. There's little steps of, well, it's not that bad. So I'm just, this isn't sin. So I'm just going to take a little step over here to the right. I know what the best choice is, but I'm just going to deviate a little bit from that to the left over here. And, and in those little steps of compromise, you know what we do? We allow temptation and we allow sin to start to take a foothold in our lives. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to go commit grievous sin today. We don't do it. But when we take little steps of compromise... Little steps of, this isn't that bad. Well, this isn't really that sinful. This, is, this isn't real. All of a sudden, we find ourselves taking step after step after step, and all of a sudden, we're off of God's path. We're off of God's best. So Moses's what may seem like a little warning there, is really such a profound thing for us to remember today. When we lose sight of the majesty of God, and a healthy fear of Him, we start to see his, his Word, His law that He's given to us as more of a self-help manual than as the laws of the almighty, incredible King of the universe. A true vision of the Lord is both freeing and terrifying, but it's always motivating. For those who are living in opposition to God's law, His profound greatness should humble us and incite deep fear and concern. For those who are submitted to His Lordship, to Him being King in our life, His awesomeness also serves as a great assurance because we belong to Him. While there are a ton of things in life that are too big for me, there is nothing in this world that is too big for our God. Fear and awe of God should bring into a balance Fear of disobedience and a soothing comfort knowing that that God who is so deserving of everything that I can offer is also more powerful than anything that I'm going to face. And that as loving Father, that almighty, powerful, awe-inspiring King is able to deal with anything that I might face in my life. In Deuteronomy, there are 13 references, 13 different places that talk about fearing God. In 11 of those 13, the fear of God is directly connected to His Word. Deuteronomy 4.10 says, I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. In nine of those 13 passages, the command to fear God in Deuteronomy, it also mentions the need to obey the commands of the law. These three elements are connected to one another. We can't separate out the fear of God from God's Word. We can't separate out loving and being committed to reading God's Word from our obedience. They, they all go hand in hand. Ajith Fernando, he said it well when he said, if you hear the Word of God, you will learn to fear God. And if you fear God, you will keep his commandments. One who fears God and desires to please him 
will regularly seek his guidance through learning from his word. They're all connected. You can't separate them out. We can't pick and choose which, which little part, which bit or piece we want to hang on to and toss the others aside. Even though as New Testament believers, we're not under the law. We're not under the commandments that, that we're getting ready to get into in the book of Deuteronomy. We're not held to that standard. It is important for us to know the law because in reading the law, in learning about the law, in knowing these things, we get to know the God of the law. We get to see how awesome, how incredible He is and how He wants what's best for His children. And I want us to leave here today knowing that a fear of the Lord, an awe of God, a humble unworthiness in our hearts of our ability to stand before God, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for us to have a fear of our God. It's the foundation for everything. Proverbs talks about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything else, every other good decision that we make, every other correct response in a situation is because it's important for us to first understand God's position and our position. Obedience is always, always, always a matter of the heart. If we love the Lord, we will keep His commandments. And if we struggle with obedience, we don't have an obedience problem. I would argue that we have a fear of the Lord problem. That if we really have seen God for who He is, if we really understand the greatness of our God, the only response that makes sense is to do what He says. When we realize and we see the King high and lifted up, it changes things in our life. I'm going to invite the band to come up. As we finish up our service this morning, uh, if this conversation that we've had today uh, has, has made you realize that you need some prayer, our prayer team is going to be down here in the front after the service is over. I'd invite you. They would love to spend time talking with you, praying for you, asking the Lord to, to work in your life. That great king that we've been talking about, talking to him, coming to him in prayer, it changes things in life. So I'd encourage you to come down and speak with our prayer team and pray with them after the service if you feel like you need to. With that said, let's go to him now in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Deuteronomy where we see time and time and time again how incredibly powerful you are. And then we also immediately after see the tender-hearted kindness with which you love your people. God, help us to understand and to, to live in a balance between realizing your greatness and living with a healthy fear of who you are and how great you are. And also knowing that, that you're a loving father. That you're compassionate towards those who are yours. 
And that if we would humble ourselves, if we would accept the free offer of salvation that you offer through your son Jesus, that we can be offered mercy and forgiveness and snuggle up in a loving daddy's arms where nothing can harm us. God, help us to walk in an understanding, in a balance of your greatness and your kindness to us. Thank you for meeting here with us this morning. Amen.